Um, if you're listening to this, I promise that we just had a real life Friday the 13th. Yeah. Ooh, spooky. So this comes out on Tuesday the whatever, 18th or something, but. We just had a 13th. Yeah. And it was a Friday. It was. I'm Aaron. I'm Tom. This is Baby's First Watch List, the podcast that's doing another scary movie marathon this year. But it seems less scary. Well, last year we did, we also did the Charlie Brown specials. Yeah, that was fun. So that wasn't really scary. That's true. Um, this week is a scary movie. It's about 1980s Friday the 13th. This is an indie film. Uh, and it's one of those classic slasher movies. Maybe one of like the first ones. Yeah. Well, the first one I think is credited as Halloween. Yeah. Right? Like the first one that at least did well. Right. Um, and this was not long after. And it was two weeks before The Shining, which we just covered last week. Yep. It was directed by Sean S. Cunningham, who's like a horror guy through and through. But honestly, Friday the 13th is his best known credit. Yeah. He did something called House, but not the show. House. House. What year? I don't know, but it was House. It was a movie called House. There's a like famous underground Japanese movie called House, but it's from the 70s. So I'm wondering if it's like a remake of that. Oh, I wonder. It's Yeah, it's Sean S. Cunningham. And the movie is House. No. Original story. <clears throat> original story. So yeah. it's not from that. Hmm. Um, the movie was written by Victor Miller, who is better known as a writer on soap operas. Oh, like really? All My Children, Guiding Light, and One Life to Live. And he actually has three daytime Emmys for writing on All My Children. Interesting. You would think that there'd be more characterization on Friday the 13th. Why? Because soap operas are all about characterization. Well, they're about, I would say they're about plot. Mm, maybe a <laughs> little bit of both. The noteworthy music in the film with the is by Harry Manfredini. And the movie stars Betsy Palmer, Adrian King, Harry Crosby, who is the son of Bing, aka Bing Crosby. <laughs> and it stars Kevin Bacon. It does. He's in it for longer than I thought. Yeah, he's a real character. He's a yeah. real life character. Like in when it. I, when I heard about this and um, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street being Johnny Depp's first role, like most first noted role, um, I assumed that they were like little cameos, but no, no both of them are like parts They're of the characters. main yeah. the main group. Um, yeah, so that's pretty fun. It's always cool to see uh, stars in you know one of their first couple movies. Yeah, Kevin Bacon, of course, was in Animal House first. Yes, but then this was like a couple years after that. One other interesting casting note, truck driver Enos, played by Rex Everhart, also was the voice of Maurice in 1991's Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. So that's pretty neat. We got a true star in our hands. True star. Yeah, because I was like, wow, that's a kind guy. And Maurice. There you go. It's just Maurice. It's crazy old Maurice. Enos is smarter than Maurice. <laughs> <laughs> Enos like he knows to stay away from camp blood yeah meanwhile maurice is like walking into the castle yeah exactly <laughs> they're like opposite characters yeah wow that guy's got range yes exactly the production of this movie was interesting wow <laughs> wow <laughs> that's an english teacher right there yep. before the script was completed director cunningham took out an ad in variety looking to sell the film which is kind of interesting yeah uh, the original screenplay was called A Long Night at Camp Blood, which actually connects more to the movie than I think Friday the 13th does. But Friday the 13th is snappier. It is. 
Um, and it was inspired by the success of Halloween. Yeah, for sure. Um, There's a little bit of Psycho to it. There's a little bit of Carrie to it, which I read after the fact. Yeah. Because I've never seen Carrie. Cunningham also previously was known for uh, working on Wes Craven's Last House on the Left. Oh, okay. But sort of wanted to get away from that type of horror film and veered towards that kind of new indie slasher genre. Yeah. The casting of the movie was also unique. The director said he didn't really care about actors that were good. I think I have this in my trivia. He just wanted good looking people who could kind of read lines and they would work for like not a lot of money. Yeah, they would work for cheap. That's all he cared about. Um, we are actually going to take a quick veer into our New Jersey connection oh, early. Yeah. So ready? The movie. You're going to get connected for free. Free. New Jersey connection. Okay, so this movie actually takes place in New Jersey. The great state. The best state in the in the whole Just nation. Just like how Halloween is based off of Haddonfield, New Jersey. I mean, is that a sign or what that uh maybe people don't love New Jersey as much as they should? Well, Horror think, movies being set or t- inspira- inspired by our state. Well, I think it goes it credits the fact that New Jersey is an idyllic suburban area. True. There are areas in New Jersey, at least, that are. New Jersey is so wonderful that it is the most unexpected place that you would ever expect. Exactly. Crazy bad stuff to happen. Yes. Oh, that's a good way to put it. So in this that's case. My, that's my spin on this uh, on the subject. Um, It does take place in like kind of a, a fake town. Yeah, but it is in New Jersey. Within Warren County, New Jersey, which honestly might as well not be in New Jersey because I've never been there. It's also f- way further from us than like Philly is. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it still counts. And filming took place in Warren County, New Jersey at a Boy Scout camp that is still running today. Don't they have like memorabilia there and stuff? Oh, it's a whole You got to capitalize on it. Yeah. Makeup artist Tom Savini, who worked a lot with George A. Romero okay. on things like Which is Night of the Living Dead and all that kind of stuff. He noted was, for its makeup. So yes, he was integral to the special effects in this movie, particularly the gory parts, all the the injuries and such. Um, there was actually a bidding war for the movie, uh, with it being the first independent slasher film to be acquired by a major motion picture studio. It was a big commercial success, making fifty nine point eight million dollars on a five hundred and fifty thousand dollar budget. Wild! That's amazing. It was the second highest, like profitable film, like in prof net profits. You know, like yeah. if you take out how much it costs and whatever. Mm-hmm. In nineteen eighty, after Airplane. Oh, really? Yeah, which is another great movie. Yeah, we watched that on our first date. It's true. There was a more mixed response critically. With both the film and actress Betsy Palmer getting nominations at the inaugural Razzie Awards. So two weeks in a row, we've covered movies that have received two Razzies in its original year. In 1980. 1980. Well, 81, whatever year the yeah. Razzies were. It has since then, though, become a cult classic, um, especially in relation to the last 20 minutes of the film. Ten sequels have been released. Is that what they said? Yeah. In the last 20 minutes? Because we loved the last 20 minutes. That's like the only good part, That's the best be part honest. of the movie. Um, ten sequels have been released with... No, actually, the diner scene's pretty good, too. Yeah, because of the diner lady. I love her. Um, yeah, so there have been ten sequels with Jason Voorhees himself being introduced as the main antagonist in the second film. Because Which is kind of a spoiler. Spoilers, <laughs> he's not in this one. His hockey mask... Uh, was introduced in the third film, which is now considered an iconic horror image. 
There has been a novel, comic books, and video games based on Friday the 13th. And Jason goes to space. He takes Manhattan. He goes to the place down south. Uh, and I'm not talking about Texas, y'all. The deep south. <laughs> and he fights Freddy Krueger. Yeah. Um, A big journey from 1980 until now. Yeah. That it is, is wild that there hasn't been a re- another reboot or remake in like 15 years almost already. Yeah, there was one in the 2000s. 2000, I think it was 2008, and then the Elm Street one came in 2009. Yeah. And there's been neither since. Yeah. Meanwhile, Halloween just keeps turning yeah. them out. Yeah. I read there was something to do. Cunningham and Miller, I think, were fighting over the rights to the series. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why part of the reason why none of, no new ones have come out since the reboot. I got to be honest. Like, I thought that this one was a little boring. I didn't love it wasn't my favorite i liked the last 20 minutes but that's about it so like i felt a similar way that i felt about halloween but halloween had more interesting like cinematic techniques i was gonna say halloween has more artistic merit i think this is a b-movie halloween yeah and there's nothing wrong with that i think it's a fine movie it's just that we've seen it so many times yeah as of 2023 and seen it done maybe in more creative ways right but Uh, in 1980, again, it was amazing. I know? get it, even though critics didn't think. Well, so. I, well, not that he, not even that it was amazing, but it was at least unique and something different and a breath of fresh air. Um, Clearly, something struck a nerve because it made so much money. Yeah, and because we we've seen Jason do it all. Two people did hate it, and I will get to them later. Uh, uh, Roger Ebert and uh, Gene Siskel, both two, of them, two kings. Both of them had many tirades against the friday the 13th series that's which so which i will tap well, into that's kind of it's kind of annoying because if they hated it the first time then they have to watch like 10 sequels yes, that yes. stinks the be- i will tell you that roger ebert he actually didn't write a review on this one that i could find siskel wrote a very famous one which i'll get into but ebert wrote his the the most he ever gave a friday the 13th movie was the reboot two stars that's the most <laughs> He said, this is about all you can ask for in a Friday the 13th movie. Two stars. Two stars. All right. So well, we, I will get to that in more detail later on. But Ebert, Ebert, Siskel and Ebert, two thumbs down for these movies. This is what I will say about Friday the 13th. Number one, I do love a camp set, like a setting. I think that's fun. Yeah. I think it's kind of, you know, quaint. Um, I like it's every man. Yeah, I like that. Of course, I love a New Jersey setting, so it automatically gets five out of five yes, for me. Yes. Um, I like the twist, the subversion of whatever. Betsy Palmer is the best part of this movie, and I really like the 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 last the last thing here. I think it's really fun. Um, apparently, also this movie. I mean, you know, you go off of what you see. I don't know, but apparently, the um character of Ned was the first like comedic guy in a horror movie. Who was Ned? The other friend that kept like joking around and doing oh, things oh, that oh, were the not. Oh, the guy with 88 on the, yeah. the uh, jersey? Yeah. Yeah. And so he was like that first kind of like, oh, look, there can be like a comedic funny guy right. who's one of the victims in there the There definitely movie. wasn't in Halloween. No. So that they said was kind of a... um like an innovative thing in the genre. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting. Well, Psycho's a slasher, isn't it? Psycho's a slasher, but there's no funny guy. Well, no, no, no. I'm just going back to this, like Halloween being like the first, it wasn't really the first, I guess, but 
I mean, I don't know. I feel I like... I feel like Halloween popularized the genre. Yeah. Well, Psycho, it feels like a different type of movie to me. Right. Like, th- both Halloween and Friday the 13th are like, here's a group of teens that... Yeah. Who makes it out alive? And it's like for the scares and the thrills. Whereas Psycho, there's a lot going on in Psycho. It's a lot, it's a lot deeper than that. Yeah. Right. Okay. That's all I you got. Wanna hear, you want to hear the taglines? Yeah, I do, actually. I only took a couple. There was like nine taglines. Probably because it's been re-released a million times. This is the one on the poster. They were warned. They are doomed. And on Friday the 13th, nothing will save them. I don't think all of them were warned. Um, No, I don't think so either. It was just a couple that were in the house when the guy said the the like ominous thing. Yeah. And then the girl with Enos. Inaccurate. <sighs> one by one, they disappeared. Why? That's also not a true accurate. No thing either i like this one they figured it would be a long summer what they didn't figure was that it would be a long summer that day i like that one <laughs> i like that one that's a good one that's the best one so far that's it that's the only one those are the only ones i, I took. pick number three yeah <laughs> i saved the best one for last on purpose okay you want me to do the plot yeah friday the 13th i actually i'm gonna be honest i have not read this yet i just took it straight from wikipedia so we'll see we'll see how this goes you want to read the whole thing? Not the whole thing, but what I have here. Don't chunk it out. In 1958, at Camp Crystal Lake, two counselors sneak inside a cabin to be alone where an unseen assailant murders them. You see it like from first-person perspective. Yeah, that's an interesting thing that's throughout the movie is it's a lot of it's from the, uh, the killer's perspective. Just like in the beginning of Halloween. Yep. In present day, camp counselor and cook uh, Annie Phillips... Played by, um, sorry, I didn't do this right, uh, Robbie Morgan. Hitches another ride from an unseen person. Oh, no, sorry, I skipped ahead. Annie Phillips is driven halfway to the reopened Camp Crystal Lake by truck driver Enos. Enos uh, warns her about the camp's troubled past, beginning when a young boy drowned in Crystal Lake in 1957. After being dropped off at the halfway point, Annie hitches another ride from an unseen person who eventually murders her. At the camp... I'm not going to do the actors. Counselors Ned, Jack, Bill, Marcy, Brenda, and Alice. Just know that Kevin Bacon is Jack. Uh, and Alice is Adrian King. Those are the two that you, that are relevant. Um, along with owner Steve Christie, refurbished the cabins. As a thunderstorm approaches, Steve leaves for supplies. Um, Ned then sees someone walk into a cabin and follows. While Jack and Marcy hang out alone, they are unaware of Ned's dead body above them on the bunk yeah it was a little spooky when marcy leaves for the bathroom jack's throat is pierced with an arrow from below the bed the killer next kills marcy with an axe brenda hears a little boy's voice calling for help and ventures outside when the lights turn on and brenda screams that was a little creepy worried by the friends disappearances alice and bill investigate they find the axe in brenda's bed and the phone's disconnected steve returns and the unseen killer stabs him when the power goes out, Bill goes to check on the generator. Alice then finds his body pinned with arrows to the door. Okay, let me just say right here, that part where the killing start are like the last 40 minutes of the movie. Yeah. Like you, rightfully so, did not include the most first, of, the first, most the of the first part of the movie, which is them just like, hey, we're hanging out. Playing Monopoly. Hey, we're playing Monopoly. Yeah. And hey, there's a weird guy over there. Oh, no, there's not. Like it's. Like, oh my goodness. Yep. And then and then there's the diner lady who's like, what don't you want? Yeah, exactly. 
Uh, Alice flees to the main cabin where Brenda's body is thrown through the window. Yeah, I'm like, super strange. <laughs> Mrs. Voorhees, a middle-aged woman, uh, played by Betsy Palmer, a middle-aged woman who claims to be a friend of Steve, arrives. She reveals that her son, Jason, was the young boy who drowned in 1957, and she blames his death on neglect by the counselors because they were hanging out alone <laughs> instead of supervising him. Revealing herself as the killer, she attempts to kill Alice, and she like grabs her and she's it's like, iconic. She's, she's like just slapping, slapping her across her. the face. It's awesome. <laughs> It's awesome. It's got to be the only horror movie where the where the killer like sl- is like smacking people up. It's so good. Uh, at the shore of the lake, they struggle until Alice is able to decapitate her. Uh, exhausted, Alice falls asleep inside a canoe that floats out on Crystal Lake. When she awakes, the corpse of what we assume is Jason drags her into the lake. At which point, she awakens in a hospital surrounded by a police sergeant and medical staff. Very Carrie vibes. Yeah, exactly. The sergeant says there was no sign of a boy at the lake, to which Alice says, then he's still there. And we end on a shot of the lake. With, with like, like a couple little Little droplets, yeah. yeah. Friday the 13th. There the it is. Yep. And honestly, that's about right. Yeah. The only cool parts are at the end, to be honest. Yes. Um. Cool. Good job. Uh, all right. So I got a couple questions for you. I didn't go crazy here. I have a few. So... How would obviously we didn't love this one, but how would you rank this among other classic horror films? And how do you let's start with that and then I have a second part to it. Okay. It's my least favorite of like the big classic, I guess, three of Halloween, uh, Elm Street and this. Mm-hmm. Because I guess those are like the three more modern eighty seventies and eighties kind of like franchise monsters mm-hmm. that are like, you know, you got Chucky, you got Pinhead and like Candyman, but like none of those i think these are the three yeah and i think that jason's story i think is more interesting than michael myers's story yeah freddy krueger's my favorite yeah he's got the quips it's cheesy like it's the whole thing but it's still scary like the concept is really scary yeah this one obviously we don't really get jason in this one right so it's hard for me to really compare in terms of like jason against freddy against michael myers but I just, I don't know. There's just something, there's something about this one that I think it, so, something's missing here. Yeah. Uh, not that it's bad. I thought it was fine. Yeah. But Halloween had, obviously Jamie Lee Curtis is great. I didn't think Adrian, Adrian King, is that her name? Yeah. Was as good as her or Heather Langenkamp from mm-hmm. uh, Elm Street. But she did her job. It, like, like the, uh, the casting was going for, like she read the lines. She was good. She was likable. She was whatever. Yeah. But. It's missing the it's it, it's missing the heart. Yeah, I agree. That's uh, that's what it comes down to. Is I feel like I didn't connect with Alice very much as a final yeah. girl. Yeah. Where I liked her. Like of yeah. course I want to see everybody survive. No one was actually like bad, which I kinda liked. No. Like I kinda like that too. In Elm Street the one guy was kind of bad. Yeah. I liked that here everyone was just likable and having a good time, which kinda made the killing seem even like worse where it's like well they didn't do anything right um and so i i like that aspect of it but i wish that we got a little bit more of like maybe alice's background maybe like there was this weird thing with her and steve at the beginning the owner of the camp i wish that was explored a little bit more i wanted to see her being vulnerable before this the ending where like we have to see her be uh kind of fight back I, i like it where there's a reason why they have to fight back beyond just oh 
they're the bad guy and I have to survive. Yeah. And she just happened to be the last one. Exactly. L- exactly. Like in, in Elm Street, Heather Langenkamp's character, Nancy, is like actively trying to find a way to kill Freddy for most of the movie. Right. And she's the final girl, not because she happens to be the final girl, but because she's the most resourceful and she's the one who doesn't fall asleep. Remember, Johnny Depp's character falls asleep on accident. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, she's the one that is in control. Right. And I find her, she's my favorite of like any of the final girls in the movies that I've seen. Um, and Jamie Lee Curtis in, in um, Laurie in Halloween, the same thing. Like, she's aware of what's going on the whole time and she takes that protector role of yes. the kids which yes. i like that as- aspect too where like she is the one that is like the responsible one out of a group of friends she's the one who really knows that like oh it's important that she takes her job as a babysitter seriously yeah and um she knows that like she has to protect the kids from this crazy guy yeah and you don't really get that in this one no, not at all. She just happens, really just happens to be the last one who dot or is is, is, is surviving. Left. Right. Exactly. How would you rank Mrs. Voorhees among <laughs> villains? I loved her. Me too. She was the, by far the best part of this movie and it's unfortunate. It's the it works the way it is. Maybe it wouldn't have worked if she was in it more, but it worked. The final 15-20 minutes worked for me a lot because Betsy Palmer just comes out of nowhere and just owns the screen. She's got the... Well, what I like is, and this is where the writer's kind of, I think, specialty comes in. She comes in and she gives that, like, soap, soapy, like, overacting, like, very... Overacting mixed with old Hollywood. She's like, oh, I'm not scared. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. And I think that that made it more compelling more fun yeah um and it makes you kind of love to hate her yeah she was awesome she's more interesting than michael myers without a doubt michael who myers just stands there we talked about like the, okay we talked about the first halloween last year so if you want to hear about that go check it out or elm street oh and elm street too last year but i totally agree on michael myers i don't find him to be com- particularly compelling i don't find his story to be particularly compelling uh but this one i i like the sort of bringing in the the mother son thing. Yeah, I like, like that. Like twisting psycho on its head. Mhm, exactly. And I I don't know, I just think that I don't know if it like I said, I don't know if it would have worked if she was in it more because like she's in a she's a she's a blaze of glory from the, in the last 15 minutes of this movie, mm-hmm. 10 minutes I guess. But I maybe spread out she wouldn't have been as effective. And if I I think I read that there was an original either shot scene like deleted scene or an idea to have her in the beginning waving to enos like Mm. as they're driving away but they decided to just not have her in it at all yeah and i think that works yeah um it would have been fine i think to have her just as one of the random patrons in the diner in the diner yeah that would have worked because then you could you know it's a little but with enos too he knows who the kid was so he would have been like oh and that was that was his mom in there you know oh yeah so that might have that might have created a little bit of a plot hole but yeah right um so all right what was your um maybe besides betsy palmer what was your favorite and least favorite thing about the movie hmm i can talk about mine go ahead my favorite thing it sounds like i'm just pandering but it's the setting and it's (laughs) not just because it's new jersey but i really like the idea of these beautiful kind of uh, forest areas that are idyllic that have a, a cute camp that like 
it's Camp Crystal Lake and it's, you know, it was so wonderful for so many years and then it closed and now it's getting ready to reopen. And it's like you've got the cool, cute little diner that, uh, you know, people were at in the beginning and then uh, Steve went to. And, and it's just like this kind of small town in a rural area. Um, and that's very much a lot of New Jersey. It is, believe it or not. People don't think that. And if I you've think, only seen the smog on the turnpike, you might not know. Right, exactly. If you've only been to the airport. <laughs> um, but I like that. And I think that that sets a nice tone for a, um, a horror movie because you've got this kind of quiet, serene area, right? Especially that lake. Um, and it also being... Crystal Lake is a perfect name for like that idyllic setting because it's like, oh, it's crystal clear, you know, mm-hmm, right? I love it. Um, but then having it be where you know it's punctuated by these moments of, of terror and violence. Um, and what was kind of interesting too is in this one, um, as opposed to some of the other horror movies, is like until the very end where she sees uh, Alice sees a couple of her friends uh, after they were killed you don't really like no one ends up being like scared right like there's not these like big screams of things for most of the people oh no they just turn around and get killed exactly so i kind of like that aspect of it it's something a little bit different um as opposed to tons of like terror and screaming and and chasing um it's more tension and mood building yeah which i i like that halloween was like that too yeah as far as um i also love that it clearly they worked with the small budget mm-hmm. and you can really see the creativity. In well, that. one thing that they did to that point is especially once night hit, everything was like pitch black like, and you can tell in the movie, they turned off the generator. Like that yeah. was a plot point that they turned off the generator. And a lot of that I think was to just create that mood without having to do anything, you know, exactly. like you use, I love when movies use their budget to their advantage when they don't have much to work with. Right. I think that's a great, great thing that they did there. Yep. So that's also part of like my favorite. As far as least favorite, um, I mean, we talked about the fact that it's boring. Yeah. And there's uh, my least favorite aspect of it is the lack of character development and relationship building. I said like 40 minutes into the movie that they were it was really bad at establishing character names even. Yeah, because I I didn't if you ask like who the different girls were what they're besides Alice, Alice. I don't know. I don't know who was. I forget. I said Kevin Bacon's name and I said, oh, that's you got to remember that one because it's Kevin Bacon. but I don't remember his name. Exactly. I don't know. One of them was Bill, because I was like, imagine being... No, I think Bill was the friend, the Bing Crosby's son. Oh, okay. One of them was Bill, and I remember saying, imagine being 19 and named Bill. Yeah. That was like such a 1980 Very thing. 1980 name. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's probably my least favorite. And that's important to me, so that's probably why I didn't love the movie as much. Yeah, I agree. That's probably my least favorite as well. Not only the characterization, but I don't really buy the relationships with each other, even. Mm-hmm, like, there right. was no... There was no reason to really get behind these people other than the fact that their kids getting killed. Right. And but I will say that my favorite part might be the jump scare at the end when oh. when Jason, the body of Jason or whatever, jumps out of the Zombie lake and, and pulls her in. Yeah. Because that is nowhere else in the movie. Right. There's no other like supernatural thing in the movie other than we <laughs> Pamela Voorhees throwing a body through a window. Yeah, she's got like macho strength, but then like immediately like can be like she gets her wrist grabs and she yeah, falls she's to the like, ground. Ow! I'm like, okay, well, didn't you just, you just do, committed all these to, crimes? You you just hung somebody from a wall with a bunch of arrows. Like, yeah, how come you're like crying right now? What are we talking about Girl. here? What are we talking about here? <laughs> Which is iconic. <laughs> um, but I love that at the end they turned it into a 
into a dream. Yeah. Which is, I thought, effectively showed the trauma that she yeah. had from that that whole experience. Yeah. It's like, and she she's thinking about the right things here. She's thinking about the root cause of all of this, which is the death of Jason. Uh, spoilers for part two. The What we thought was the death of Jason in 1957 or whatever it was. Right. So I liked that. I liked that it was... It, it, I'm not huge on jump scares, but when you have one that has a purpose, that one had a purpose. Mm-hmm. It fit the plot. It fit the the sort of the what it was trying to get across. Yeah. Uh, and again, I liked the last 20 minutes of the movie, and I think that that was a, a welcome addition. Do you think that Jason's mad that he just like missed the Beatles? Maybe. I think that might have been <laughs> just why before he's mad. When yeah. did the, when did uh. Yeah, that had to be around the time of the Buddy Holly like plane crash, right? Yeah, so he might have been in between. He missed a lot of stuff. I think he's mad about popular culture stuff that he missed. Yeah, and now he is popular culture. How about that? How about that? Maybe he was like a really big Jets fan or something. Why? Because they stink now, and maybe they were like good back then and bad forever. They won in the late sixties. Okay. Yeah, so he missed it. <laughs> yeah, he did miss it. So maybe he was a Jets fan, yeah. and he got mad because he didn't get to see their last he's win. In, he's in that area. And now he's back. Yeah, he definitely was a Jets fan. Yeah, he had to be. When when did the Jets... When did they become a team? This is my theory. My theory... No, he missed the Jets. They they became, they became a team in 1960. Ah, oh, darn. There goes my theory. My theory was that... He was a big Jets fan as a kid, right? And then when uh, he died in the lake, he was, you know, gone. He missed their win in the 60s. And then he comes back in the 80s and he's he's super unhappy. Yeah. He's like, now they're going to stink for literally 50 years. They. So if if we're talking about the Giants, they won the NFL championship in 1956. Mm -hmm. They won it again they went to it again in 1958 which is considered the greatest game ever played that might be it then considered one of the most important events in furthering the nfl's popularity yep he missed it giants lost in overtime to the colts 23 to 17 and he missed it by a year there you go that's got to be it i mean he's he's upset you know the giants didn't didn't win again until 86 it looks like uh at least after he came back in 80 whatever 81 i don't know but they were bad for a while and yeah, no. So maybe he's a Giants fan. Yeah, and uh, Tom, when did the Giants last win? Two thousand, what? In like the late two thousands, right? Yeah. And we haven't seen a Friday the Thirteenth movie since. It, they won in like twenty thirteen, <laughs> <laughs> but they also won in tw- two thousand seven. See, and then we got the remake, and he's like, "I'm, I'm good. Said, I've seen enough. I'm good. I've we seen won. enough." We won. It we was probably filmed. Brady. It was probably filmed before. Exactly. Yeah. And he's like, I'm, I can rest. Yes. That's it. <laughs> that's it. Jason, Jason is a Giants fan. 100%. We, we fi- came up with it. We figured it out. <laughs> My last question here is, are there any other like camp movies or camp TV shows that you really like? Yes. My big one is The Parent Trap. Okay. Starts at like the whole thing is the twins meet at a camp and it looks like such a fun camp. And like they look like they're having a blast. They meet each other at the camp, and yeah. then they realize like, oh my god, we're. Oh Tom, we gotta watch this movie. We will. They both get in big trouble because they're mean to each other, and they end up having to just like be in this like isolated cabin alone. And they both find out that they both like Oreos dipped in peanut butter, and th- they're like, <laughs> I love the idea that that's like genetic. And she's like, 
oh my gosh, I've never met anyone who's liked it. So, and then the other girl's like, yeah, me either. I love that accents are not genetic, which we know they aren't. But I love that accents aren't genetic, but loving sp- very specific Oreos snacks with peanut butter is genetic. Oh. And and they're like, yeah, everyone else thinks it's disgusting, and I'm like, who thinks that's disgusting? Also, you look exactly alike. Well, and then she's like, oh wow, cool, yeah, my birthday is on October 11th or October 12th, and she's like, me too. And they're like. <gasps> And then they each have half of a picture because apparently the parents oh decided God. the best thing they could do was just cut the picture in half and give the half of like who they're not with anymore to the other kid. It's like three identical strangers vibes. And guess what? It fit. Wow. I love that movie. All right. What do you like? What camp movies? Wet Hot American Summer. Oh, that's a good one. Wet Hot American Summer, if you haven't seen it, is a comedy from 2000, I believe. And it's got everybody. He's got everybody. You name it. It's written uh written and directed by michael showalter bless you um aaron just sneezed <laughs> and no bless michael showalter bless michael showalter uh he it was it also starred like paul rudd elizabeth banks bradley cooper uh amy poehler john john ham mm, he might have been in the tv show version don't know it was uh chris maloney molly shannon it has like all these people before they were really before they were famous yeah. for the most part it's michael Ian black in there Michael Ian Black is in there, yes. I know him from uh, I Love the 80s. Joe Latrulio's in there. Oh, king. Yeah, from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Love him. Uh, yeah, so Wet Hot American Summer is the first one that comes to mind. Both the movie and the first season of the TV show, which takes place... So the the movie takes place on the last day of summer camp. Uh-huh. The TV show filmed like 15 years later takes place on the first day of that same summer camp with the same actors yeah so like they're all older and heavier and out of shape and but they don't reference that they're that's that, funny it's as if in canon they got younger and in better shape as, as the, this summer went on i love that it's very funny the second season gets a little crazy they bring in like ronald reagan like it's like the whole yeah, yeah, yeah. there's like a nuclear threat it's like yeah. the, it's like the whole thing but i really love the movie and i really love the first season of the tv show that's a good answer. Yeah. That's the only question I have. Okay. Well, yes, yeah, like five. Besides all the other ones. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you like Monopoly? Uh, you know what? I do, but I never played it. Okay. So this is actually interesting timing because uh, yesterday I watched a hundred or an hour, 20 minute long all ears net video where they played a like real live version of Monopoly in Disney World and it took like all day. And I was like, why would you spend a day in Disney World doing that? They were exhausted uh, because the winner got to do a My Perfect Day video. So they were like all competing to win. And it was really fun to watch. And like if you like you had if you had to go to jail, you had to like do a tat. It's like fun. (laughs) So um, great. I like their videos. They do like fun challenges. But um, I was like thinking I never played like a full game of Monopoly. I always just played. Like I wouldn't we wouldn't build houses or hotels. It would just be like, oh, you own it. And then you just give like we didn't play it with strategy. I would love to try and play it now. My family played it once or twice. I loved Monopoly. I was always the thimble. That's I like the thimble. Yeah. The only one I don't like is the shoe. Yeah. I don't know what the pieces are now. I know some of them are different. Yeah. I don't think the thimble's there anymore. I always used to be the thimble too growing That's up. That's how you know. That's, That's how, how you know you're meant to be. Yes, exactly. <laughs> 
Um, I also liked Monopoly. Two little thimbles. <laughs> <laughs> I also didn't play it as much as I probably would have liked we to. We should play Monopoly. It's a long game. Yeah. And it takes a lot of attention and, and stuff like that. I guess, would... guess where it takes place. New Jersey. It does. Boardwalk. Best state in the union. Yes. New Jersey Connection <laughs> for free. You got two this episode. <laughs> two for one special. Um, Okay. Hitchhiking has to be the scariest thing that used to happen all the it's time. It's a hard no right? from me. I Why was it okay? Like I think, and I'm sure so, I'm obviously some people still do it. We know the people who go across the bridge in New York do it. In uh, Fort yeah. Lee. We, we did, did it that one time and I will never John. do it again. I didn't know it was happening until like two seconds before it was happening. Yeah. That was not good. You just it was to get in the carpool lane to go across. Yeah. Into so New York. there's a thing in like Fort Lee, I don't know if it's in other places up in North Jersey where like there's people that just wait on the side of the road right before the bridge and people will pull over so you can jump in the car so that they can go in the carpool lane. Yeah. And our friend did it all the time to get to work. Every day to go to work. Yeah. And I'm like, how is that okay? So people people still do that, yeah. Um, but to do it on like a desolate road. Like we like when we did when we went on the Amtrak across the country, like this would be like us doing this in like Montana. Yeah. It just couldn't <laughs> we, happen. We had enough weird vehicles rides in Montana that Yeah. This, no. This would have been a step too far, I think. I do think that with uh the lessening of uh hitchhiking it, that's acceptable in uh general society we are seeing less ideas in horror movies being yeah. able to come yeah. to fruition yeah what else do i have one other question and then we're going to do a, another six degrees of kevin bacon because okay. we did one for plane trains and automob- automobiles which was i think the only other kevin bacon movie we did so we're going to do another one for Although this. Although we watched A Few Good Men recently, and he was really yeah. good in that. He was, he was the uh, other attorney, right? Yeah. Yeah. He was good. Okay. My last question. Do you like that the... We kind of talked about this, but just the direct direct question. Do you like that the movie gives absolutely no insight into the killings until the very end? I kind of like that because then you're wondering, like, why... I also think that a lot of times in movies, like, you don't go into it, like, thinking about that. Like, you're like, oh, I'm going to watch a horror movie. Then there's going to be a lot of, like, crazy stuff going on. And to have it be for a reason, and for a reason that I think a lot of people could understand, like, not, obviously not understand the killings, but, you know, you hear people say, like, oh, when you have a child, you would do anything for them. Yeah. And so This is a person who wasn't able to do anything for a child. Exactly. And so it's an interesting motivation where, no, of course... You wouldn't do this, right. but you can almost be like, all right, well, it's different than Michael Myers, who's just like, oh, he's just he's bad. insane. Yeah. Like, OK. Or Freddy Krueger is a really bad guy. Right. Like, it's like, OK, she's obviously a bad person, but you can see her motivation. Yeah. And it's for a more human reason than um than maybe some of these other villains. And so I kind of like that little, like, there's nothing and no reason. And you don't even think it's a, a woman, let alone a, a mom, a grieving mom. Right. So it's an interesting little little twist there. I also like how she's supposed to be middle-aged. Like, like maybe, let's say, I don't know, 40 or 50. But she looks like she's like 70. She's older, though. Think about it. Well, she was like 30 when her son died. Yeah, and that, that was in was the fifties. Twenty twenty one years ago, twenty two years ago. Yeah, so she's at least in her fifties. Yeah, but she's not like eight. Like she looks old. She doesn't look. Eight. She's wearing like a beaded sweater. Like <laughs> <laughs> she looks like what you would think is like a stereotypical grandma looks like. Okay, everyone looked older back then. I guess. Yeah, that's uh, hitchhiking. 
uh, not for me. No. It's just not. All right, we're going to do our six degrees of Kevin Bacon. So we have our movie tarot cards that we bought one time from Jazam's, I think. Yeah, Jazam's, which is a kid's uh, toy store, which so, is a really cool one. So we've got 78 cards here. Do you want to do Kevin Bacon to this person? Yes. Okay, so we're each going to draw a card, and we are going to try to connect Kevin Bacon to that person in six or less steps. Yeah, but can it be certificates rather than degrees? Yeah, so certificates last time was like this person dated this person. Yeah, or like this person was at a commercial that like then the other like right. oh Danny DeVito was it, the spokesperson for or, or if you're connecting like Spike Lee and Samuel L. Jackson who are in the uh, like those commercials together. Right. All right. So I'm going to give Erin her choice. I know you just saw the bottom one, but her choice of card. Okay. Let's see. I picked uh, nobody. Nobody. Let me pick another one. I picked Bill Murray. All right. And I picked nobody. <laughs> and I picked nobody. Uh-oh. And I picked Al Pacino. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin Bacon and Al Pacino were probably in a movie together. Maybe, but if you don't know, you got to find it another way. Yeah. Do you want to go first? Yeah. All right. So, Kevin Bacon to Bill Murray. All right. Here's... I feel like they were probably in a movie together, too. Okay. Ready? Kevin Bacon was in Animal House with John Belushi, who was in uh, The Blues Brothers with Dan Aykroyd, who was in Ghostbusters with Bill Murray. That was easy. There you go. I was good at that. Let's see. And here. I did it the traditional way, too. Yeah. Let's see here. Kevin Bacon was in. Let's say A Few Good Men with Jack Nicholson. Yes. Who was in... Uh, who was in... <laughs> oh, who was in Anger Management with Adam Sandler, who yeah. was in Jack and Jill with Al Pacino. Al Pacino. <laughs> <laughs> we got to Jack and Jill. Thank you. That was good. We were good at this. Yeah. That was yeah, perfect. we are. <laughs> good ones. Okay. Yeah, so that's my last question. The only note I had on this movie was obsessed with the diner waitress, as always. <laughs> I love the diner. I, that's like my end goal in life, I think. Just to be a diner waitress? Yeah. Shout out to, uh, what's her name? To Leslie. <laughs> to Leslie. Oh, and to Leslie. <laughs> and the movie everyone remembers from last year. <laughs> Yo, I liked that movie so much, actually. It was good. All right, so I'll do Tom's top five trivia. Number one. Because the camp was closed during filming and situated in the deep New Jersey woods, the cast and crew didn't see much outside interference, but it turned out they had a very famous neighbor. Rock star Lou Reed, who owned a farm nearby. It's random. Uh, one of the sound men said, we got to watch Lou Reed play for free right in front of us while we were making a movie. He came by the set and we hung out with each other and he was just a really great guy. Love that. Yeah. Number two is what you said earlier. When casting the movie, Sean Cunningham said he wasn't looking for great actors. He wanted anyone who looked good, seemed likable, read the dialogue fairly well, and worked cheap. Yep. Number three. Betsy Palmer, who was a method actress, yes. gave Mrs. Voorhees a detailed backstory. She imagined that she hated um, transgressions. Mm-hmm. Because she had Jason out of wedlock with a high school boyfriend, and her parents ultimately disowned her for her sins because that, quote, isn't something that good girls do. Oh, that's sad. Number four. 
Betsy Palmer, oh, this was it. Betsy Palmer insisted that Sean Cunningham put her in the beginning of the movie at the diner or waving to Annie on the road as she's hitchhiking so that the audience will have some clue who the killer is. Cunningham said no, although the killer was unforeseeable. And though the rest of the movie was criticized by the critics, the ending ended up getting a lot of praise, particularly the jump scare at the end and Palmer's chilling performance. And number five, Kevin Bacon claims that he gets asked to sign screenshots from his death scene in this movie more than any other movie he's been in. Nice. Yeah. And one casting note, uh, turn down the role of Alice, Sally Field. Yeah. Yeah, that would have been... They said they couldn't afford her anyway. Yeah, that would have been cool, though. Yeah, I like her. Well, what they said was um, the fact that it would have been like casting Jamie Lee Curtis in Halloween because they're both daughters of famous daughters of famous people. Oh, who's Sally Field's Um, parents? I didn't know she was a Nepo baby. Uh, oh, her her mom was famous. Okay, Margaret Field. She was an actress. Oh, nice. Yeah. So obviously, Jamie Lee Curtis being Tony Curtis's daughter, and, who, and Janet and, Lee, and Janet Lee, uh, which again is a whole other connection to psycho slashers. Yeah. Um. All right, and I think my last thing is <laughs> the Siskel. All right, so this is an article on Up Rocks from 2015, and it's called Siskel and Ebert versus Friday the Thirteenth. Who br- wrote it? Um, Chris Eggertson, a brief scathing history. And so, all right. He, Gene Siskel in 1980, wrote a famously scathing review <laughs> of this movie. He gave it half a star. Oof, that's rough. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but in the in the Up Rocks article, it says, calling director-producer Sean S. Cunningham one of the most despicable creatures ever to infest the movie business. Siskel was so outraged by the film that he spoiled the third act reveal in the third paragraph. He said, It has been suggested to me that a great way to keep people from seeing a truly awful movie is to tell them the ending. (laughs) He's a king. He encouraged readers to write letters of complaint to both the chairman of Gulf and Western, then parent company of Paramount Pictures, and inexplicably, star Betsy Palmer, who was just trying to earn money for a car. (laughs) 1980, Siskel and Ebert's sneak previews, the precursor to At the Movies, dedicates an entire episode to the disturbing new trend that is the burgeoning slasher genre. They talk about the movie The Howling, which is apparently a werewolf movie. Uh, they they have a whole... There's two videos on YouTube about it. It's a whole thing. 1981, Ebert publishes his first print review for a film in the franchise, Friday the 13th Part 2, which he awards one half of a star. That's supposed to be the best one. It's not clear what the half star was for, but needless to say, the film nearly destroyed his fondest childhood memories. Roger concludes his takedown, which is about half plot explainer, with the following sentence. This review will suffice for the Friday the 13th film of your choice. (laughs) That would hold until 2002's Jason X, which Roger also awarded one half star and noted was released on the 16th anniversary of Chernobyl, another famous meltdown. Oh, no. Ebert, come on. 1984. Roger opens a classic at the movies rant by calling Friday the 13th the final chapter and, quote, immoral and reprehensible piece of trash. <laughs> Some highlights. When Roger sarcastically calls the executives at Paramount geniuses. The way Roger says, yeah, real great, after playing a clip from the movie. When Roger's alarmist tendencies take over and he announces that Friday the 13th, the final chapter, will strike existential despair into the heart of every teenager who sees it, summing up the film as follows. It doesn't matter if you have a new boyfriend or a new girlfriend or you've got plans for the future. You can forget those plans because you're going to wind up dead. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, and then the other highlight is when Gene calls Robert's take, or Roger's tape soapboxy. 
Uh, he reviewed the following year, Friday the 13th, A New Beginning. Roger called the film more leftover recycled garbage. Uh, more highlights. When Roger charmingly pronounces garbage as garbage, uh, Roger <laughs> openly wonders how Jason's hockey mask could look so good after being burned, sliced, and crushed in the previous new two movies, or how he could have managed to buy a new one at the store being Jason. <laughs> uh, let's see. When Gene admits he slows down a little for traffic accidents but doesn't get out and look, which would, of course, be the equivalent of watching a Friday the 13th movie. And finally, in 2009... When Roger reviewed the Friday the 13th reboot and awarded it two stars out of four and called it about the best Friday the 13th movie you could hope for. Beautiful. Roger, Siskel and Ebert were... Two of, a, two of one of a kind. Oh, my Lord. The, we, when we watch Life Itself, just it's seeing the, the two best. of them. I really just wish... I like wish that they were just a streaming thing for just oh. at the movies. I would watch it every day. I'm sure there's a million on YouTube, but absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think that's all I've got on Friday the 13th. Great. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. So does Friday the 13th make baby's first watch list? Yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it does. <laughs> well, again, it's one of those where it's like you kind of got to see it eventually. You got to watch it. You know, because Jason is such a... Well, it's so funny, too, because like if you're... Especially if you're a horror fan, like I was saying to my students this week, I was like, Friday the 13th, I just watched that movie. And one of the boys, I guess, is a big horror fan. He was like, yeah, the, it's it, they're so good. Which one did you see? And I said the first one. He goes, no, no, no. You got to watch the third one. <laughs> <laughs> so you got to watch it. It's Jason. It's Jason. Not in this one, but... He's in it. Yeah, technically he is. Both live and and corpse yep okay so what are your takeaways um basically all right my takeaway is don't do anything that any of these characters does in this movie yeah no monopoly no monopoly ever no running around in the dark at the camp yeah when there's a when there's killers running around yeah don't also just don't go to the camp where there's been somebody who's been murdered yeah or died it's a good idea it's just i don't care if you believe in ghosts if you believe doesn't matter. Just don't do it. Just stay out of the situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's fair. I think that's all we can ask for. Yeah. I mean, that's that's pretty much that's it. That's pretty much that's it. That's the message. Yeah. Just don't do what any of these people do. Okay. And so, yeah, that's Friday the 13th. Next week, we actually just watched it today already. We watched mm-hmm. it early. Yep. We are covering 1975's Rocky Horror Picture Show. It's a classic. Yeah. It was very fun. It was my first time watching it. We're actually going to see it tomorrow, which is Sunday, so we will have already seen it by the time this comes out. Uh, a theater production at um, Bucks County Playhouse. Starring. Starring Frankie Grande <laughs> <laughs> as Frank Inferter. Yes, that's right. So, yeah. It's a uh, it's a family fave in my, in my house growing up. Yeah, it was my first time watching it. I'm glad I watched it. It was fun. Uh, it's not it was it was honestly more or less what i expected yeah uh well my i texted my dad and said that we watched it and i said oh it was i really like that music i'm excited to see it live and all he answered was what did tom think (laughs) he doesn't care about my opinion what did you say i said hated it no i said he said it was very fun and he gave it four out of five on letterbox which is better than he usually gives movies well not by much i mean i usually give us i usually give three and a half half. three three and a half above average yeah no no i liked it i would watch it again yeah um yeah, and we watched it with two of our friends, which was fun. So, yeah, tune in for Rocky Horror Picture Show, and hopefully we'll have a good time at the uh, show tomorrow. And then we're going to integrate our thoughts on that as well, I'm sure. Yeah. So, yeah. So, thanks for listening to Friday the 13th. And if, as always, you know, rate, review, subscribe, follow. Um, 
Yeah. So we will see you next week for Rocky Horror. Goodbye. See you later. Bye.